Welcome, everybody. It is so good to be back with you in front. I, I was looking through my notes. I think it was November the last time I opened up God's Word together with us in the Weinberg context. And uh, it's such a pleasure. It's such a joy to be together. And we're going to, as, as uh, Bishop Andre said, we'll be looking at this thing of peace and what is the peace of God, peace with God, and the God of peace, and together unpacking this and what this means for our lives. And so I'll be uh, un- looking at what is peace with God. But before I dive into peace with God, we've got to unpack, first of all, what is peace, right? Uh, because uh, this, this dynamic of what is peace, because peace, many times people think it's just the absence of war. You think about the word peace, and if you Google peace, you're often going to find headlines of this war is ended. Now there is peace. I was looking at newspaper headlines after World War II and what they were saying about peace at the end of a war. But the biblical view of peace is broader than simply not people or people not fighting. It's something broader than that. It includes internal well-being, a soundness in the whole of life. And it's mostly got to do with sound relationships, not just the absence of all, where people live in harmony with one another. Now, harmony is a beautiful picture. You've all heard someone sing really badly, right? You've all heard a musician make a mistake on the keyboard or the, the not our musicians, of course, somewhere else, not, <laughs> not here, right? But you hear when the wrong note comes in, it's like, oh, oh. Like there's something that jars with you because we like, as human beings, we like harmony. We like things sounding nice together. In the Old Testament, we see this word of shalom representing God's peace. You might have heard that word before in a different context, shalom. In fact, if you go to Israel today, when someone greets you, they say shalom, saying peace be with you. Again, it's talking about well-being and wholeness together. In the New Testament, uh, in Greek that it was written in, it's, it's a word, irene. Now, I had to Google how to pronounce that. I think I got it right. If you have a better way of pronouncing it, please correct me. Irene, which is, includes also interpersonal peace, not only wholeness inside, but also peace between nations, between groups of people. And again, what we see in the New Testament is people greeting each other, like in 2 Peter chapter 1, the Apostle Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. It's this beautiful, beautiful blessing saying, God, may you multiply your wholeness, your soundness, your harmonious living into this person's life, into this group of people. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? This peace that we see in the Scriptures. And I think there's something inside of us that yearns and longs for that kind of peace, that kind of wholeness and that harmonious living. You know, when we look around and we see perhaps our neighbors, our families, we look across social media, we can see people chasing after something that we might call peace, chasing after contentment. And, and if we're honest, when we look in the mirror, we may also yearn for that. When someone may, may you have peace, we go, yes, that's what I want. You know, when someone genuinely wishes you to be harmonious and, well, and all well-being, And so when we unpack the scripture that we're looking at today, we're thinking of peace not just in that sense of two parties no longer fighting, but actually this harmonious, beautiful relationship, this mic stand, this music stand, this, is it going to stay with us, the whole message, or is it not? (laughs) There will be a lack of peace if it happens to fall over during this message. But Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 is where we'll be spending the most of the, today's message, 
If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open it up because we'll be spending most of our time there. And uh, I wish I could go through the whole of Romans 5, but also the whole of Romans. But we have one message today, not uh, as in some churches. Who was it? Martin Lloyd-Jones preached it. 12 years to get through the book of Romans, was it? So we're not doing that today. You can take a breath. So, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, and of course, I wish I could go back into chapter 4 and unpack why he's saying therefore, but you can do that on your own. I encourage you to read the whole of Romans chapter 4 and chapter 5. But he says, uh, the Apostle Paul writes, says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that word justified, I'm going to come back to in a few moments. Since we have been justified by faith, we have, there's our word, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, there's so much weight just injected into those few words so far. And he continues, he said, through him, talking about Jesus, we, also, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we're going to focus just on verse 1 for now. This peace that we have with God. Now, if we spoke ancient Greek and we were reading our Bibles in ancient Greek, we would look at that word with and understand it to be a little bit different to the normal with that we use in English today. The word with that we have today is normally as if you're doing something along with somebody else. So Andrea and I are standing with each other. There's the sense of proximity. But it's, it's a preposition. English teachers, did I get that right? The Fuersetzel in Afrikaans. Uh, that's why I always struggled in Afrikaans to study Fuersetzels. But in, in English, this word with, and in looking back at the ancient Greek, it's kind of an active word. It's not just that things are alongside each other. It's not just that we have peace with God, that we're next to Him. It's talking about emotion or a direction, emotion or direction. And if we had to tra- translate it directly out of that Greek, it sounds a bit clumsy, which is why the translators put the word with there. It's more familiar. You could say we have peace toward God. We have peace toward God through Jesus Christ. It captures this idea that there's a deliberate movement towards something, moving forward, unhindered, this access that comes up in verse 2. And so Paul, when he's writing to these believers, these followers of Jesus, he says, since we as believers have been justified by faith, we have peace towards God. Gives a little different flavor, doesn't it? The sense of having peace with God is toward him. Now, this biblical understanding of who we are and how we are made up, we recognize that the the root of human restlessness or lack of peace is because we're in conflict with God. Now, it might sound a little bit simplistic, right? Out of everything that makes us up, our emotions and our environment and how we've been raised, etc., etc., he's saying everything to do with our restlessness, our discontentment is because we're in conflict with God. I, I want to propose that to you today, and let me unpack that from a, from a biblical point of view. You see, we were made for God and by God. We were made for God and by God. If you think about the Creator, what He wove into every single one of us, He created us for Him. And so when we try to live without Him, we can only be discontent because we're living in a way that we weren't made to live, right? We're doing things that we weren't supposed to do. We're being what we're not supposed to be. 
And so we're made for him. So living without him, by definition, is dysfunctional. Like an oven without electricity. A car without petrol. A swimming pool, swimming pool without water. Right? They're there. They exist. But they're not functional. They're not doing what they should do. And so if we don't know God, we are lost. We are drifting. We will never be settled. And what we're going to pick up in week three is that this God that we serve is the God of peace. And so think about it. We, we go back to Genesis, and over the last uh, couple of months, there's been a, a series that we've been encouraged. If you weren't here for that, you can get the sermons uh, from our website. But when we were made as human beings, God wove some of His image into us. Think about that. The God of peace created us in His image. So that yearning and that longing for peace is something that makes us human. We don't see that longing for peace in any of the other created creatures on this planet, right? We see survival of the fittest. But there's something unique about human beings that say, I want peace. I yearn for it. I long for it. And so we may look for peace. In Strangely, we may look for it in work. You might see this in the mirror. You might see it somebody at your workplace, someone who just strives and strives and strives and strives works those crazy hours, and you're coming in, why are you doing it? And you're seeing, are they yearning for that peace? May look for peace in relationships, in having more money than others, in travel, in entertainment, in Christian ministry, in mindfulness, all of these things, in exercise, having a healthy body. None of these things are bad, but by definition, they cannot give us the peace that we're looking for. Trying to get apple juice out of squeezing oranges, you just can't do it. Those things are good, but they will never give us the peace that we, it, deep within us we long for and yearn for. I don't know if you've seen some people, they test out different things for a season. I remember a family friend of ours when we were growing up, every time we saw them, he was trying out something new, some new fad. And it might have been transcendental meditation. It might have been drinking oxygenated water. It might have been trying a whole range of different things. And everything for a season, trying to figure out, does this bring the peace that I'm looking for? We know people who try out a new job. They feel dissatisfied. Maybe, I've got to stay in camera, sorry. I'm so used to moving left to right, I feel constrained. Alex, thank you for your warning. Um, People try out a new job. As long as I get something new, then I'll feel better for a while. But I know after a while, that's going to start fading, and I'll move on to the next job. What about people who try out a new spouse? Saying, I'm feeling discontent, it must be my wife, my husband. And say, I need to move on to find more satisfaction or more peace elsewhere. What about a new home, a new country? The situation outside you can control and change, right? But what you're doing in going into that new space, you take yourself into it. And what we find is that this yearning for peace is inside of us. It's not from the outside in, it's from the inside out. And so what we learn when we look at ourselves honestly, we realize that we cannot find ourselves until we are found in God. We cannot find ourselves until we find Him. We cannot have true peace until we have that peace with God. And the sad reality is when we look around, we see so many people who've just given up on life and saying, that's just what being a human being is like, this 
constant dissatisfaction. You just got to find events after events or moments after moments just to top up that feeling of, of feeling good somehow. Small moments of contentment. That's what life is all about. But what we realize when we look at Scripture, we realize that true peace is possible. And I hope this morning I'm able to communicate that this, this peace is within reach and that you understand it for yourself and are able to communicate it to a world around you that is yearning for the peace that you yourself have yearned for, that we have all yearned for. But why is it that we don't have peace? Why is it that we don't automatically have peace? I mean, if we were made in the image of God, right? This is a theological question. If we're made in the image of God, and He's the God of peace, why don't we automatically have that peace hardwired into us? Well, the reality is that sin put every human being on a war footing with God. We became enemies of God. Now, many times we may see that sin is just breaking a few commandments, right? And maybe when you grew up, you went to a Sunday school or you, uh, some form of kids' ministry, or your parents taught you, here are the Ten Commandments. You must never break the Ten Commandments. And you try your best that you can to not break those ten. And then you're good with God, right? But the challenge, or the reality of it, is that sin is not so much about breaking laws. It's about rebellion against God. That sin is a proud refusal to admit that you need His help. It's a, it's a place. It's on a wall footing with God and saying, God is my enemy. Because of our sin. Now, sin, I, I've got an, an object lesson here because I've been do, working with younger people recently. It's been quite fun. Um, I've got one hand. I need, a, I need a volunteer to hold the microphone for me. Any, any volunteer? Just, it's not a trick. Thank you. So what sin did in relationships, so remember I spoke about how sin, sorry, how peace is harmonious relationships. And so when sin entered into the story in Genesis chapter 3, what we see is it tore our harmonious relationship with God. Sin came in and it tore our harmonious relationships with each other. It tore our relationship with ourselves. In that internal thing, when you look inside the mirror, look in the mirror, look inside yourself and go, I'm not good enough. I will never be good enough. Sin tore that. We look at how sin damaged and tore the relationship we have with the environment. We read that in Genesis chapter 3, how we had to sweat and toil and the ground doesn't produce what it should. What sin did is it broke and tore the shalom. Thanks, Mama. Sin tore that relationship, that harmonious relationship that we have. And so what Jesus did in coming into our human story to broker peace is he did it. He stepped in to bring about the peace that we ourselves cannot manufacture, that we cannot restore those relationships by ourselves on our own. And so peace with God, coming back to Romans chapter 5, peace with God is found through Jesus Christ, that this peace with God is by, through justification by faith. Now, justification is this big Christianese word, right? You've heard it in church. Have you heard it outside of a church building? It's unlikely, right? It's not a common term. So I wanted to make sure that we're all on the same page. If we want this peace with God, and it's through justification by faith, what is justification? We've got a, a definition up on the screen. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God. 
in which he, first of all, thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. And, and the definition will come up in a second. It will come up in five, four, three, two, one. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. And secondly, he declares us to be righteous in his sight. Okay, now there's some big words in there, and, and, and uh, the theologian making this definition was trying to make it a short definition. So picture this, justification being instantaneous. One day, one moment, one split second, you're outside of the kingdom of God, unforgiven, wretched sinner, destined to face the wrath of God. Instantaneous legal act of God, God declares you righteous, that your sins are forgiven. They are washed away because of what Christ has done. And not only that, you haven't gone from being, uh, you know, if your righteousness was like a rating out of 100, you haven't gone from minus 100 to zero. Picture like when you're at school, there was the blackboard or the whiteboard, right? It's like the whole lot of work up there, and Jesus wipes off all the sins off the board. He doesn't leave it blank. He writes then, righteous in God's sight. That your, your righteousness levels go from minus 100, evil, not to zero, neutral, but goes to positive 100. Christ's righteousness is given to us when we have faith in Him. That's what justification is all about. That our part to play in justification is to receive it by faith, to receive it by faith. Now, why faith? <laughs> why not some other action? Because faith is pretty much the only thing that, you, that by definition, it's the opposite of trusting in yourself. Does it make sense? God's saying the only condition for this justification is that you don't trust in yourself. <laughs> Think about that, that you don't have to do anything. There's nothing you can prove to make justification something that you've earned. Because by definition, that's not by faith. That he offers it freely to us while costing him everything. So even as the sin tore the peace in our lives, our rebellion of trusting ourselves is placed aside. We place our faith in, and trust in Christ and not in ourselves. And that's why we can say that true peace is peace with God through Jesus. That Jesus made peace between God and man, between man and man. And Jesus died as the ultimate peacemaker. The establisher of peace between ourselves and God is Jesus. Picture it, if you want to use the example of a, um, um, in a, in a wartime setting, many times when they reach the end of the battles and they're trying to negotiate for peace, some countries may need to give up what they took over here, or they had to pay reparations, or there's these kind of things to make right between the war, uh, the, the pain that the war caused. But Jesus himself is the innocent party in this war. God himself has done nothing wrong. We've done everything wrong, and yet he is the one who is the peace offering to establish peace between us. Jesus took all of our rebellion and sin on himself. He became that sin so that in, that in his death, it was paid for. That when God looks at us, 
He doesn't see our rebellion and sin. He sees the righteousness of His Son, the innocence of His Son, the price that He paid on our behalf. And all of the rebellion and offenses that caused uh, the peace to break, they've been taken care of. His death brought about our reconciliation. And if you scroll down a little bit or page on to verse 8 in Romans chapter 5, this death took place long before we even knew we needed it. Long before we recognized that we needed a Savior, it tells us in verse 8. But God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We haven't gone and said, God, I want peace, and then Jesus died. Think about that. This isn't a two-sided agreement. It was God acting on our behalf for our good so we could, amongst other things, have peace with Him. And this is the beautiful thing about the peace with God. Is it's like a spiritual reconciliation between uh, men and God, a woman and God. It's restored relationship that is established between heavenly father and earthly child. Made possible simply because Jesus wanted it to be. And he was willing to pay that price. And because Christ himself has, is guaranteed us peace with him. We go back to verse 2. It says we have access to the father. We have access into the royal courtrooms of heaven because of what Christ has done. Isn't that encouraging? Now, Jesus is looking at, at, at our lives and seeing this torn shalom, this, this brokenness that I'm, that I'm standing on at the moment. And he's saying in many ways, as he headed to that cross and as they ripped his clothes off him, he's saying, I'm not going to give you something that's just mended together of your old life. I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to clothe you in robes that you didn't earn. And I'm going to dress you as a son, as a brother as a daughter. Isn't that that beautiful? That this picture that God in Christ doesn't offer us just mended together cloth, that the peace, the harmonious well-being comes from Him and it's full and it's rich and it's total. Nothing in half measure. So peace with God is not about us putting down the weapons of our rebellion alone. It is part of it. It's us saying, we cannot depend on ourselves. Our own efforts will never, ever be enough. And it is also the righteous and holy and just God turning His wrath away from us and onto His Son, onto the sin that Jesus took off us. So that's how we can have peace, is because we have access into the presence of God. We're laying down our weapons of our rebellion, our self-dependence. And God is turning away his righteous anger. He's not ignoring our sin and pretending it's not there. He's saying, I'm going to take care of this. And when I see you, I'm going to see the righteousness of Christ in you. It's a powerful, powerful truth. And so when we live with the peace of God, we think of God and his smile of forgiveness over us. We think of God not just being our judge, but being our father. Not just being our creator, but being our friend. Think about uh, the, the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus taught. Again, such a beautiful demonstration of the son running off to live a life in, in, in dependence upon himself, away from his father. Clearly, only one party is the wrong party here. And what happens when we see that this, this, this son comes back? The father could have rightfully rejected him. 
saying, you wished me dead, I don't have to accept you any longer. But what do we see? We see that father with arms wide open, embracing the son that is returning. And the beautiful thing is that with a peace with God, you can always go home. When you have peace with God, you can always go home. Now, I want to be clear, absolutely clear. Church can't give you peace. Pastors, the elders, your life group leaders, they can't give you peace. You can only have peace with God at the cross. And that changes the way we describe Christian mission, isn't it? That when we are reaching out to people who are far from Christ, perhaps drifted or have never known Him, we don't point to ourselves. We don't even point to our ministry or our church. We point to Christ on the cross, the price that He paid. When we talk about peace, we're not talking about peace through self-help or the five steps to inner peace. (laughs) We point to Jesus as the one who brings us peace with God. Now, if we drop down to verse 10, I wish, again, I wish I could do the whole of Romans 5, but we don't have the marginal time for that. I'm going to read it in the ESV, but ESV, when you have English as a second language, might be a little bit tricky. I, this particular passage, I definitely wanted to share it in another translation. It says, if we were, were enemies, to, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. The New Living Translation of English is your second language might be an an easier uh, Bible to read more regularly. So let me read it from there. It says, For since our friendship with God, isn't that a beautiful picture? Our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies. We will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. The peace with God makes us friends of God. Peace with God makes us friends with God. See, so many times when we think about a war between two nations, they draw the boundary line. They're not friends. There's peace, but they're not friends. And what God offers in peace with me is saying, I am your friend. Because of His goodness, His grace, His mercy, and His love, all followers of Jesus are His friends. Now, I know, I, this is, have you noticed it's not really a three-point sermon this morning? Because this is a a truth that we need to embrace and sink deeper into our hearts. And let me explain how this truth of peace with God changes us deep, deep down inside. First of all, this, this truth of having peace with God, it's an affirmation of truth, not a commandment or an instruction. So if you, uh, if you go back to uh, the slide with Romans 5 verse 1 and 2, please. This is a statement of truth, not an instruction. It says we have peace with God. Not you first need to do this, then this, then this, then this to maintain peace or get peace. It's an affirmation, not an instruction. It doesn't say since we've been justified, it feels like we have peace with God, right? It says we have peace. Where do you feel it or not? If you're in the middle of the night and you're cold, and you're saying the sun's gone away because I feel cold, <laughs> It's daft, right? You know the sun's there, you're just not in it. If you don't feel like you have the peace with God, it's not because you don't have peace with God. There's something else, and that's what next week's message is going to to touch on. We have peace with God. Statement, full stop, underlined. 
because of justification of what Christ has done, we have peace with God. Now, it's not a feeling, and it's a relationship. It's stable because God has established it. He's the one who's put it in place. We are not the ones to sustain it. We don't have that strength for justification, right? It's the exact opposite. It's trusting in what He has done. We don't top it up. We don't fill up a tank of peace with God. We have peace with God. Objective fact based on events unpacked in the Scripture. And so our feet can stand firmly on those truths. And in the context of Romans 4 through to 5 and 6 and 7, it's all about justification. It's all about what Christ has done to make us in right standing with Him. That's why it's not, let us find peace in God, but we have peace with God by justification through faith. Now, if you're a believer, this is a truth that I want you to massage into your heart over the coming weeks. Maybe you, uh, you feel guilty for something that you did before you came to faith in Christ, something that bugs you, something that you did that you're ashamed of. What can you do? When that thing comes to bring guilt into you today, you say, wait, wait, wait a minute. I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That, that sin can't take that away. What about something that you've done more recently? Perhaps as a, as a believer, you've done something that you're ashamed of. I want you to remember this verse and memorize it. That we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. When we lose our internal peace, when we have fears, when we're fighting with others, memorize this. I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. This isn't a free pass to do whatever you, any sin you want, right? Because if you are at peace with God, you're not going to pursue those things that put you in wrong standing with Him. Again, I'm, I'm leaning into next week's message. But something I've come across, some people, when they experience some kind of suffering, and that might be you, it might be someone close to you, and there's some kind of point of pain in your life, and the answer or the solution or the explanation they have is to blame God, and saying, God is punishing me, God is at war with me, God is against me in some way. Maybe you've experienced a series of things that just keep knocking the wind out of you. You're saying, no, God's angry with me, He's punishing me. He's against me. I want you to remember this truth, that you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Remember that God's justification is that when God looks at you, He sees Jesus' righteousness. That your past and your, your sin is taken care of Him. He sees Christ's righteousness. And it's because of this that Paul, in the very next few verses, in chapter 5, verse 3 through 5, he then talks about the suffering that we have. There's meaning and purpose in it. It isn't a God who's angry with you, who's punishing you. It's a God who is with you. Suffering is redeemed. Now, God isn't punishing us because we have peace with Him. Now, it might be something that is discipline. That we're going through something that is God is disciplining us. But why are we disciplined? To be more like Christ. It's not punishment. Punishment just says, I want to cause you pain and leave you there. Discipline says, I want to take you through a journey of refinement. Then on the other end of it, you'll look back with gratitude. 
And that's why Paul can talk about that we we rejoice in our sufferings, because sufferings produce endurance, and so on, and so on. That's a hard truth, but it's a beautiful truth. That the peace that we have with God is never jeopardized by our circumstances. It's never at risk of being lost because of what Christ has done. So the third application that we have is the whole of next week's message, that the peace with God allows the peace of God. And for many believers, that's a more familiar term that we use. We have the peace of God. When we're trying to make a decision, when we're seeking something, we're wanting the peace of God. It's bigger and richer and deeper than that, and I can't wait for the message. So I encourage you to come back next week saying, what is the peace of peace with God? How does that lead to the peace of God? But as I, as I bring this message to a close, I want to ask you, have you experienced the peace with God that we've been talking about this morning? Have you experienced that? And I want to make an offer and an invitation to people who, who perhaps, if you're picturing Christianity as a list of things that you must do to stop God from being angry with you, I, I suspect that you haven't experienced peace with God yet. And again, I, I'm, I don't want to blame you. I don't want to, you to feel bad if you have, have that picture that God is this frowning principle uh, or the frowning judge, and he's just waiting for you to do something wrong so he can hit you. That's not the picture that we have of Jesus Christ and the way he loved and ministered on earth. And maybe today it is time to lay down those weapons of rebellion, your self-dependence, and to take up that offer that Christ makes to every one of us. And that is, I will make you righteous. I will take your sin away, and you'll be in right standing with my heavenly Father. So I'm going to ask you to, to stand to your feet, mainly just because we've been sitting for a while, and I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer around this topic of, of peace with God. Jesus, we thank you that it is truth that for those who follow you, they have peace with you. And that this peace is immovable. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you administer to every heart this morning. Establish that truth as foundational. Not just a nice to have, but something that features in, as we go through this week, may we know the peace that we have with you. Lord God, I pray for a spotlight on those lies that we've held on to that seem to put that peace at risk. Remove those, we pray. May we see the peace with you for the beauty that it really is. And Lord Jesus, for those in this room and watching online who have never experienced that peace with you before, that their Christianity is marked by striving and strain and not peace, not wholeness. I pray, Holy Holy Father, that you would move towards them and draw them into your family. And if that's you this morning, if that's, if that's uh, this concept of being at peace with God fills your heart with this deep sense of longing, like, yes, that's what I want. I'm going to lead, lead you through a prayer. You, know, you could follow me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you offer me peace forever. Jesus, I lay down my weapons of self-dependence. I declare that I cannot 
do this anymore. Jesus, won't you save me? Rescue me and draw me into your family, I pray. Set me free. Set me free from my sin, my selfishness, and the sense that I need to do it by myself. Rescue me, I pray. I ask for your Holy Spirit to fill me and strengthen me that I can follow you, that I can